TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. It's the Score North Twin Show. Hey, welcome to the Score North Twin Show. He is uh, Jacob Hugh. I am Judd Zolgad, and we are with you every Tuesday and Thursday talking about the uh, Minnesota Twins, of course, the defending AL Central champions and Jake DePue. Unfortunately, after a 10-2 start, this team now looks like anything but defending champions of a division. Uh, they are now, what, 20-16, and 16, if I'm not mistaken. They have lost six yeah. consecutive games. They played a game that the White Sox desperately tried to give them last night, and the Twins um, defensively, offensively gave it right back and lost. Where do you want to start with what has become such a such a concern that Rocco Baldelli, who probably hates um, calling closed door post game team meetings as much as he does going to the dentist, actually did that last night? I believe for the first time since he took over this team in two thousand nineteen. So let's start. I mean, there's so much to get to, and this has just been a complete disaster uh, the last six days or so. Um, I want to talk about Rocco. But let's start with the defense last night. I'm guessing Mac, I haven't listened to your show yet. I will. I'm guessing Mac, he went on a rant about this because he was ranting um, over text, and so was I last night. But uh, the defense last night, that Luis Arise play, was a disaster. And I get, so, so if you weren't watching the game, the bases were loaded, nobody out, liner to Arise, he drops it. Should have been a triple play, tailor-made triple play, right? All he has to do is throw home. To get the force at home, catcher throws to third, and then to second. And that's a triple play. At the very least, you get two. Instead, what happens? They get one out. They, they essentially record the same out on the same base runner twice. The runner, the runner leading off second, is, is, he's five feet off the base. Polanco just has to tag him. And instead, he throws to first to get the runner at first, who was already forced out. That play gets you out of the inning. The bases were loaded, nobody out. Rich Hill walks the bases loaded, nobody out. That mm-hmm. play gets you out of the inning with a 4 nothing lead. You, there's a pretty good chance you go on to win that game. I get that he panicked in the moment, and I admit that, you know, when I saw that play, I was like, oh, what, you know, what's going on? It, it was somewhat of a confusing play, but if you're a major league second baseman, Luis Arise, yeah. who's a smart player, and Jorge Polanco messed it up too, you're a major league shortstop, you need to know exactly what the play is there. You need to be going through the different options in your head before the play starts. That's like fundamental coaching 101, right? Is before any play, you go over all the different scenarios in your head so that you know what you're going to do and you don't panic. He completely panicked and it cost them two outs and the White Sox ended up scoring two runs that inning. And then of course, Max Kepler, I mean, what can you say about that? He just drops a routine fly ball with one out in the ninth and the White Sox go on to score three. Just a total lack of focus there. It was an embarrassing effort. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't like, um, being that hot takey, but you have to call it for what it is, man. That was embarrassing, and they just completely crapped the bed, and it cost them a win. But at some point in time, I think the problem, too, during the streak is, and I don't know why, and I can't explain it exactly, um, this team has fallen asleep. And last night, defensively, there are three plays. The Arise play, which, by the way, looked at first genius because he dropped the ball and thereby started what should have been a triple play. Um, so he dro- he purposely, it looked like he purposely didn't catch the ball to trigger a triple play, but he clearly didn't. He just dropped it. Right. Uh, 
the Kepler drop and Kepler's play has been checked out. It's very odd. The drop, inexcusable. It's a ball that really he should have deferred and Jake Cave, the center fielder, probably should have caught. It was it was just a very uh, non-heads-up play. And then I also want, want to go to a simpler play, which actually got, got it out, but it sort of shows where the Twins' heads have been at for the past uh, week and a half or so. Tyler Duffy, right? And that was the Duffy yeah. play. So, so Duffy, who, who, by the way, too, Rocco last night totally tipped his hand by bringing Duffy in in the fourth, okay? And then he brought him back out for the fifth, which he never does. So, so he used Duffy far earlier than Rocco Baldelli prefers to, and then he brings him back out again, which he doesn't like to do, okay? So this is a complete tipping of the hand of, to the importance that Rocco puts on this game, which, having lost five consecutive games, he should have. He was right. But men on first and second, nobody up. James McCann hits a ball right back to Duffy. And, and unlike the Arise play, in real time there, that's not confusing. You're thinking one six three one six three. Duffy with blinders on, as I explained to Mackey, turned towards third and almost throws the ball away. Marvin Gonzalez makes a nice play to save it and get the out. So they got the lead runner at third base, which was all well and good. But to me, Arise, the Duffy play, and the Kepler play, Jake, they sort of show on a grand scheme of things. This team's head, I don't know where it is, but it's not in baseball games. And that's what concerns me, if there's a concerning thing about this streak. It's, I don't think you can simply say, well, it's a baseball season and it's a slump. Yes, team slump, I totally get that. In a 60-game season, it becomes worse because we can break down each and every loss, which is fun for us. But this goes beyond that. This goes beyond you're playing dumb baseball. You're not engaged. This is red flags that um, I think are well beyond the scope of just a slump. And, and the, one, the one positive, interesting thing that I can find from this entire thing is this one. So in 2019, which was Baldelli's first year as manager of this team, the Twins had, I believe, a pair of, at one point in time, four-game losing streaks. And until they got swept by the Yankees in the ALDS, that was really the most adversity they faced, which is really nothing, right? This is very interesting now to see the approach because this is the first time under Baldelli in season that this team has really faced adversity. And I'm very curious to see how they respond, what they do, and I guess most importantly, how Rocco responds. Yeah, so the Rocco dynamic is fascinating because you're right. He, he never really had to be aggressive and you know whether that's holding team meetings or, or yelling at guys or pulling them from the game or whatever um, he never had to do that last year because they just they faced almost no adversity like you said I mean the Indians caught them at one point for you know very briefly but essentially they were in first the whole season they never had a big losing streak he never had to do anything like that I think it's outside his comfort zone you know I think the strengths of Rocco are that he's very laid back he lets the players control the clubhouse Um, And that is a huge strength when the team is going well. But when they encounter a stretch like this, where it's not just that they're losing, it's that they seem completely checked out um, mentally. And I don't know if it was just the long road trip. I'm guessing that affected some guys or whatever, but like, it's just inexcusable um, what happened last night. He now has to become more aggressive. Like you just, you, you have to, right. And he called the team meeting, but I, I just, 
I don't think that's where he's comfortable. He doesn't like doing stuff like that. Um, and he's going to be forced to because this team, I mean, the season is, is in jeopardy right now. I mean, they're, they're barely holding on to a playoff spot. You know, I, I closed out the last podcast. You were, you know, you were closing it out and I interrupted you rudely. And I said, wait, 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 this Tiger series, we can't overlook this because if they get swept, it's trouble. They yeah. got swept and they're now, I mean, they're two games out of not making the playoffs. And Rocco's got to turn this around. He's got to do it quickly. And he has to be, he's got to change his mentality, I think, a little bit. Get more fired up. Go get tossed, man. Like, go get tossed from a game. You know, if. Hey, hey, Jake, for him, for him to close the clubhouse post game, for him, not for you or me, it's a big deal. Like, he's worked for Rocco Baldelli. He is worked up. Now, I realize that that does not translate to you or me or, or most people, uh, but for, for him post-game last night to volunteer, hey, we met. And I, I asked him on the Zoom call, I said, who talked? You know, because d- did you defer to Cruz again? Did you defer to a veteran guy? And he said, no, I talked. So I think for what you're getting at, I think you're starting to get that. And this is where I'm really – curious and and here's the other interesting dynamic that that from a clubhouse on and off the field standpoint i'm curious to see as well um dan Hayes of the athletic reported that buxton and pineda are rejoining the team up today on tuesday as we record this pineda is going to start um and then supposedly josh donaldson is supposed to rejoin the team on wednesday you know part of the part of the reason donaldson was signed was for this Yep. He's the guy that's supposed to come in, and if there need to be MFs dropped, it's supposed to be him. So upon his, his return, because keep in mind, too, he didn't go on the 10-game road trip, or I think it ended up being nine, not 10 games, but he didn't go on the most recent road trip. So the Donaldson dynamic here becomes really intriguing because Nelson Cruz is a leader, and he's Mr. Calm, Cool, Collected, and I think he says things and people pay attention. I think Donaldson probably yells. So this is going to be a very interesting, because I'm with you. Rocco doesn't really like that. But if ever we have felt under Rocco, this team has needed that jolt of a guy like Josh Donaldson, it's right now. There's a lot of interesting pieces to this puzzle right now. So I want to propose something to you and see if you agree or, or disagree. I think Rocco is an ideal manager for a 162-game season. Because in 162, you can't get worked up over, over one game or even a stretch of bad games. I think it makes more sense to keep a level head and, and look at the big picture. Um, but I think for a 60-game season, he really struggles. I, I think he's not suited for this. I think you just you have to, you know, the way that you guys break down every game like it's football, right? Like there's just so much importance on every game, and I think it just goes against who he is and always taking sort of the, the long-term view, the 30,000-foot the view of things. Yep. I think he's outside his comfort zone. Like I think guys like you and me, you know, we have the mentality where we get so worked up and we react to everything. You know, we would be, you know, in a, in a alternate universe, right. We would be horrible managers. Uh, You know, people have personalities like us because we get too worked up and you can't do that maybe over 162 games, but in a six, and that's where Rocco excels, but in a 60 game season, you have to get worked up. You have to react to things as if it's football. And I think, he really, really struggles with that, and I think we're seeing it now. I think this is a problem. Do, do you agree with that take? I agree completely with everything that you just said, except for the very last thing. 
I don't know in the eyes of the twins, it's a problem. Um, I think so. So let, let's let's uh, take the long view here. I think in some ways, if you're the twins, it's a blessing because it allows him to learn. It, it puts him definitely in a place that's not his comfort zone. You learn things for next year. Um, I, I will say, say this. We, we didn't bring this up on the trade special that, that you and I did with Mackie and Declan on Monday. But, you know, them not making a move might be a nod to let's just see. I, I'm sorry. When you don't make a move at the deadline and you're as good as the Twins are, and by the way, I'm, I'm still fine here, so I'm not criticizing them. But when you choose not to make a move, it also tells me that you're going to ride with what you have, not necessarily because you think it's all great, but because you're not as invested. So I think you nailed it. I think the people that run the Twins, Falvey and Levine, might know what you said to be true. That doesn't mean that Rocco's job's in trouble, but it does mean that their assessment of a really weird 60-game season that's going to start with a playoff round that's best, um, best of three might have had them rethink their approach to 2020. Because I think you're right. And I think they know those things. And, and there's just so many dynamics here at work, too. Like, the Twins are, are right now largely, as far as I can tell, checked out. And I guess my question becomes, why? Like, they started 10-2. They're a good team when they want to be. Uh, the bats are inexcusably dead. And I know Donaldson's hurt, and I know Garver's hurt. And before Mitch got hurt, he was terrible. Uh, and I know Kepler has been a big disappointment, Rosario, Polanco. But are guys necessarily checked out because they don't care? Are guys checked out because of the environment of what's going on? Like, there's just a lot of things here that basically fly in the face, including exactly what you just said about Rocco, of the way the Twins do business, which makes me in some ways wonder about their approach to 2020 and whether they've realized that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I, I think not trading for anyone at the deadline, it tipped their hand. Um, I was really surprised and I was disappointed. It's way too passive, man. I mean, I, if you're trying to win, you, you got to get, even if it's just to send a message, right? Even if you just pick up one arm, like an Archie Bradley, just to send a message to the, to the team saying, we still care about this season. We're trying to win. We're going to give you some help. We're going to make you better. Because look, they've exhausted the pen. They've had all these pen games. The starters are rarely pitching beyond the fifth inning. The pen is, is cooked. Man. Well, they're not cooked, but they're exhausted. They pitched all five of their uh, top five starters, uh, top five relievers, excuse me, in a loss yesterday. Uh, so a lot of those guys probably won't be available. It would have really helped to get another reliever that they can count on. Um, and it would not have taken much. I mean, the return for Archie Bradley was very minimal. Uh, so to not do that, suggest that maybe they're not taking it this that seriously. And, and I don't know that's true. I'm sure they do want to win. And I know guys like Nelson Cruz um, really want to win. Yeah. But that's, it's just too passive, man. Like this whole stretch, whether it's the trade deadline or, or sort of punting on some of these games where you don't pitch any of your good relievers uh, with a lead uh, or in a close game, like it's just they've taken a really passive approach and it mirrors what they did in the ALDS last year. And it's just disappointing because – this team going into the season was one of the favorites and they started 10 and two. And you said to yourself, okay, they're taking this seriously. They really want to win. And now it's just, I, I don't know, man. I, I, 
I'm really, it's really bizarre to me. Um, and it's, it seems like it's trickled down to, to the field where they just seem checked out. And maybe it's just the travel that, that the travel is exhausting being confined to your hotel room. I, I get it. That's not ideal. Um, but the White Sox are pumped up. You know, the Tigers were pumped up uh, in, in that series. So, I mean, it's, you know, the other teams seem like they care. And the Twins were really, seemed really excited early in the year. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know if there's some internal issue in the clubhouse uh, that we don't know about. But it, it's weird, man. And, and they're at a point now where they could miss. And if they miss the playoffs entirely. Oh, it's a monumental choke. A monumental disaster. But here's where I struggle personally. I said going into the season, for, for the most part, that I would treat it like this because I don't take it seriously. It's this weird 60-game tournament followed by a playoff tournament, and, and it's fun, but it's basically playing for the COVID Cup. But what you said worries me because if this is a reflection of how, how they think going back to the trade deadline last year and the ALDS, that concerns me because – Look, the pressure, in my, in my view and in my world, the pressure goes right back on if uh, 2021, hopefully, fingers crossed, goes back to normal. So I'll put the pressure right back on then. I just don't have a big problem with this. And, and I, do think, I do think the things that, that the Twins are going to learn about this team and Rocco in particular, and, and that Rocco is going to learn about himself as a uh, manager in potential crisis is going to help. So, like, this whole thing doesn't upset me gr- greatly. The, the meltdown and not paying attention in games is concerning. But, but if, this, if this is a reflection of how they really think going back to last July and then into October and now, then that's a concern because that's an overall philosophy. So the philosophy of 2020, I'm okay with. But if that's, you know, 2019, 2020, and, oh, now at the deadline next year, well, we still can't make trades, then I've got a big problem. So I've sort of turned the criticism knob off a bit right now, but if this is a reflection of their thinking, then I'm worried because then, then you can never pull the trigger when it matters most. And that's, and that's why, just last point, that's why I love the Gratterall trade. Right. It's not, it's not because I was desperate for them to trade Gratterall. It's because I, was thinking to myself, are you ever going to do anything to get good right now? And they did, and that trade for Maeda has worked out spectacularly so far. So I love that trade based on what it showed us. But in times of, of a real baseball season, I need to see that more than once. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I hesitate to, to, to criticize Falvey and Levine too much because I do think overall they've done a tremendous job. That's clear. They took over a 103-loss team and turned it into a 101-win team in three years. That's really damn impressive. And they managed to stock the farm system too. But my, my one criticism of these guys is they seem really hesitant to roll the dice. They seem hesitant to, to pull the trigger on a big trade that they could lose. It's like they're so terrified of losing a trade that they would rather just you know, be passive and, and stay put. I mean, we saw that at the, at the deadline last year. Like, it was so clear to everybody that they needed a starter. Like, the, it, it, it's not like, yes, the Pineda, the Pineda suspension hurt, but it wasn't like he was a guy that was going to carry you through October even if he was healthy. Like, it was very clear that this is a historically good offense and the, pitch, the starting pitching is lacking and they need an arm. And the fact that they couldn't get one um, and, you know, sort of blamed it on, oh, the Mets didn't call us back or, or, I mean, the I'm sorry, the Blue Jays didn't call us back for Stroman. Like, 
on. Like, you've got to figure out a way to get that done. And when you look at, you know, they're very much like in the Theo Epstein mold, right? Uh, You know, analytics, new wave. And I I love that. But Theo's not afraid to, to pull, to roll the dice, right? He did it with Araldus Chapman. He traded Glaber Torres and, and others for, for a couple months of Araldus Chapman. That's a huge risk because if you don't win the World Series, you've traded away Glaber Torres for basically nothing. Yep. But he did it because he understood that if you want to go that extra step, you sometimes have to get risky. The Astros uh, did it last year with Greinke, right? I mean, and now we can criticize that Astros front office for lots of other things, but they understood that they had to get aggressive to get another starter. And they had Cole and Verlander, and they still went and got cranky. And so I just – the Brewstar trade was a sign that they are willing to do it in the right circumstances. But as far as in-season at the deadline, whether it's calling up top prospects uh, or making trades, they just – man, they, they haven't done it so far. And, and I think that's a little bit disappointing. I think that's their weak spot. I'm going to blow your, your mind with what I'm about to say because I'm the most unlikely person to say this. But this year, I get it for a multitude of reasons, including the fact that you've seen this team for basically a month plus, right? Which ordinarily, it doesn't in this case, but ordinarily translates to May. We're, we're in May or something, okay? What frustrated me about last year, and, and where I thought the lack of an impact move for a starting pitcher was hubris, was you had seen that team in April, May, June, and July. They, they were on their way to setting the single-season home run record of 307 in one summer, okay? One, you know that that can't be counted on on a regular basis. The season was special. Two, that team was special. And, and your sample size was so huge by the time that the uh, July trade deadline got here that you were basically being hit in the head with a frying pan saying, make a deal, make a deal, make a deal. And they're still like, ah, we really can't. That frustrated me. This time around, Short season, weird year, you're a month plus in. I don't know what's going on here. There's probably dynamics at at work. So, like, if I was an executive, I would be much more reticent right now to pull the trigger on trading a top five to eight prospect. Last year, though, when you're in that circumstance and things are that special, and you are, I mean, when the deadline came around, you could have legitimately said, we are going to go get a starting pitcher because we can win a World Series. And that's what frustrated, that's what frustrated me about that, because I am certainly not uh, Mr. Large Sample Size of Score North. But in this case, I am, because you got a huge sample size of an incredibly special year, and you were like, we'll take a pass there. That's the exact type of thing where common sense tells me that's not the year to pass. This year might be. Yeah, so I agree with you on 2019. I I, we slightly disagree on 2020. I still, I think they should have made a move. I agree that this comes with an asterisk, right? This season, there's no question. But you have a chance to to still go to the playoffs with a really good team and win a World Series. And if it's an asterisk, it's an asterisk. But it still matters. It matters to the to the fan base. It matters to the organization. This is an organization that is 0 and 16, yeah. 0 and 16 in their last 16 playoff games, right? You do not pass on opportunities to go to the playoffs and make a run. Like, and just from like a fan perspective, like season ticket holders, things like that, like, don't you think that making a big run in the playoffs would do a lot to, to get fans to come back to Target Field in 2021? Like, I just think asterisk, and I hate saying that word, asterisk or not, 
Um, you have to do something. You have to take this seriously. You're too good of a team and you have too many guys leaving who want to win like Nelson Cruz and Rich Hill and even Odorizzi. You got it. You got to send a message to the clubhouse by getting a reliever, especially when you've done what you've done to the bullpen this year. So I agree with you. You don't trade away Royce Lewis or Alex Kirilov unless the return is unbelievable and controllable, but do something right. Send a message to the fans and the players. You still care about winning because you still have an opportunity to go make a run, and you're you're just watching it go out the window. I just oh, you punted. I don't get oh, it. They, they punted. It bugs you more, and you and I'm not saying that you're wrong, but they did punt. Like, make no mistake, they punted. Now no. the question is why? Do they like their current team that much? Are, are they really convinced that if Donaldson and Buxton? And uh, Garver and Odo come back. It's going to make a huge difference. I don't know. But when it came to a deadline in which, by the way, a lot of teams made a lot of moves. So there were guys flying around. They punted. I got a question for you as well off of how they're playing right now. And this probably is what confuses me the most about um, the decision-making process by Falvey, Levine, and probably Baldelli right now. Hopefully you can help me. Um, you've got a lot of guys hurt, so you've got a lot of guys playing more than they should play. Jake Cave, Adrianza. I mean, guys who have roles, but they're not, they shouldn't be playing a ton. Uh, you've got Kepler scuffling. You've got a handful of guys who I could go get in my car right now, drive to St. Paul, go to CHS Field, Jake DePew, pick up and drive to Target Field, and they could get a shot. In, again, a weird season. A weird season. You know, I mean, I don't care. Larnick, Kirloff, you take your pick. You, you tell me who to go get. A lot of teams are doing exactly that. Why wouldn't the Twins? Because they're playing a lot of people way too much who are role players. And, and I'll give you the perfect one. I'll give you the perfect one. And, and it is not ideal, but playing JK a lot also does not follow, follow into the category of ideal. Um, when Buxton got hurt, you could have shifted Kepler to center, which you did last year, and he's not great there, but he can play there. And then I could go get you a corner outfielder from St. Paul who could play for the Twins. And you can see. It gives you a window to see. Can you give me any plausible explanation as to why they're punting on that one? So you have to open up a 40-man spot, and that is not – I mean, you can do that, right? As Royce says, says give me a pencil and an eraser. Right We're here. Yeah, I'm showing you right now. I'm showing you a pencil and a racer. Yeah, so that that plays into it to some extent, but I'm not saying that's a legitimate excuse. They don't probably want to start the the clock on a lot of these top prospects in a in a fluky year. That's my only explanation. Or they don't feel they're ready. Uh, You know, but with Brent Rooker, I'm not saying Brent Rooker is going to turn around your season, but the guy is ready for big league at bats. He had a good year in AAA last year. He has a full season of AAA under his belt. You know, if you're not going to play him this season and you're not going to add him, then he's just not part of your plan. But, like, to your point, yeah, I, I don't understand why they don't at least try because they're giving a lot of guys playing time, uh, too much playing time. Like you said, Jake Cave, Adrianza, those guys have a role, but they're bench players. Marwin Gonzalez, so I just tweeted this, Marwin has been critical to the team. Um, staying afloat in the sense that he has defensive versatility and he's playing every day. But his offensive production, I just tweeted this, 
He's slashing 225 with a 299 on base and a 324 slugging. That is below replacement level uh, production or, or right at replacement level at best. You know, so those those guys are are part, a big part of the reason why their offense is is just not good. It's below league average. Personally, yes, I would have called up either a Rooker or a Kirilov or a Larnik, and I would have given those guys a shot, as so many other teams are doing this season. Like you said, I just think Balvi and Levine are very risk averse, and they don't want to make the forty man move and start the clock. Um, and it's the same thing with Dakota Chalmers and and Duran. Like yeah. I would have given those guys a start you know, when you're doing all these bullpen games, um, they don't see it that way. Uh, it's just very passive. It's very passive. And I understand the logic. I really do understand the logic. Um, and I think they, they think like you're thinking about this season. I think I, I, we have to come to that conclusion, at least. To some but, that's, but that's time to look at the kids then. But do you, if the season doesn't matter, as you're suggesting, and as maybe these guys are starting to think about it, and I don't know, but if they're thinking about it that way, then do you want to start the clock on those guys um, in a season that doesn't matter, or do you want to just wait until next year? Personally, uh, I would want to see them, and I, I think the season matters more than you do, um, and so I would be more aggressive. I, I'm just trying to, to understand how they might be viewing it. Okay, let, let's weigh the two things that you just said. Let's weigh... On the one hand, the clock starts. That's not great. It starts. A lot of teams are doing that, okay? But the positive is this kid gets at-bats in, by the way, empty stadiums, which relieves a lot of pressure and comfortable. And if this gets part of my future, I'm starting the, the clock, but it's not like I'm going to run a ton of clock here. I mean, this year's going to be done very quickly. I just think a lot of teams have the right idea in saying, this is perfect. Bring a kid up. This is as little pressure in a big league game as you will ever put on a player because there's nobody there. So the whole double deck factor is gone. You know, you look up, there's a second deck. No one's in it, right? So, yeah, the clock thing, I understand the debate there. But if you're ever going to say, now's the time to take a look, this is it. This is a golden opportunity. And, again, I'll defer to the, to the teams, the amount of teams, and it's a large list. I, I think it's a much bigger list than normal, Jake, that are doing exactly that. And when Byron Buxton got hurt, to me to say, oh, we got Jake Cave? No, that's not the answer. The answer is how can we get creative? We've got essentially corner outfielders up the wazoo coming up. Let's take a look. We'll move Kepler to center. He's not great there, but okay. So I, that's just the one thing I don't get. I think when they started 10-2, and two, uh, they basically looked at the percentage chance that they're making the playoffs, which was at one point 99.9%, and basically said, we can coast. We can just coast to the playoffs. We'll get our guys healthy come October. Because uh, I do think they probably cared at least to some extent, um, and I think that's probably was their – philosophy like let's let's slow play all of these guys um who are injured uh because we can just coast in right it would take a total meltdown of you know getting swept by bad teams like the royals and tigers to to even put the season in jeopardy of not making the playoffs yeah i understand the logic like you figure you'll at least pull out one of those games in detroit pull out one in kansas city earlier in the year but it didn't happen and that's the risk you run that if everything does you know, go awry, 
uh, you're now, you now find yourself in a position where you're fighting just to make it. That's my, that's my guess at what they were thinking is let's not bring up these guys and start their clock because we can just coast right in and seating doesn't matter. So if we end up as a seven or eight, that's fine. But how about now? Well, I mean, now I think their argument would be they're getting Buxton and Donaldson back. Then you're going to have to play Buxton every day and Rocco ain't doing that. Yeah. I mean, he's just not going to, I don't disagree with you. I would have, I would have called up somebody. I would have for sure called up uh, Duran uh, or Chalmers to make one of those starts, probably Duran. And I think I probably would have called up um, Rooker, uh, especially when you're struggling so much against lefties. I think they just think that they can coast in and that will probably end up playing out the way they think, but they're now in a position where this five game series against Detroit at target field could be for the eighth seed. If they lose four out of five in that series, I mean, it's going to be really hard because I've tweeted this a bunch, but there's no one game playoff. If they finish tied with Detroit and they lose the head to head, Detroit goes and they don't. So they're now in a position or if they lose these next two to the White Sox, and let's say Detroit comes to target field tied or one down, they have to win that series or they're in a lot of trouble. And it's just that has happened very quickly from 10 and 2 to get to this point. Uh, and it's because, you know, they, they sort of put all their, um, their chips in this philosophy of we can coast in. It would take a disaster for us not to make it. And that disaster is now starting to play out. And they can still stop it, but – this is bad, man. They're not in good shape right now. Sound the alarm. All right, Score Now Twin Show. We'll talk to you again on Thursday. He's Jake. I'm Judd. Thanks for listening. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.